Hi team, you're about to listen to my interview with Oliver Muller, the co-founder of Returnista. Returnista is a returns management platform for e-commerce, but it is so much more than that. It integrates with other components of the e-commerce tech stack as well as carrier information and creates an end-to-end returns experience platform for e-commerce customers. I hope you enjoy the interview. This is the e-commerce edge podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of the podcast. We have a very interesting technology and conversation to have today with Oliver Muller, and we he is the co-founder along with his brother of Returnista, and they operate out of the Netherlands. So welcome, Oliver, to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. It's awesome to have you here, mate. And we're going to talk about your technology, but I guess let's talk maybe a little bit about your background You've been running Returnista for over six years now. And how, what, what brought you to this space? How did you start to think about e-commerce returns? How did you get into this space? How did you decide to build this technology in the first place? I think we've taken a route that you see quite often with very young guys wanting to be entrepreneurs. So we were still in university and we really thought about what was going on in the world. And we saw e-commerce just spinning out of control and just growing so quickly. So my brother and I, we were seeing like, what can we do in this space and what part of this customer journey is really underdeveloped still. And then still today, you can quite easily identify that returns is a big hassle, both for consumers as online stores. So that's why we chose to really dive deep into that space. And here we are six weeks, six years later. It is an exciting space. And yeah, oftentimes it is, I guess entrepreneurs see gaps in the market, right? They see things that are on the rise. They see gaps, they see problems, they see challenges. And they say, look, if we can solve this challenge, then, hey, we've got a, we've got a viable business. It's a Blue Ocean's classic Blue Ocean strategy. And you saw a gap at a time when e-commerce was really just starting to explode onto the scene in a huge way, particularly retail e-commerce, B2C, D2C e-commerce. And returns are a major problem. We see, d- depending on the vertical that brands operate in, fashion is probably the prime suspect here in terms of super high return rates. But in almost any vertical of retail e-commerce, we see return rates anywhere from 2 to 10, sometimes even a little bit higher than that percentage. And it is a real problem for brands, isn't it? it the cost to brands is just phenomenal. When you think about the, it's not just the flat out reverse logistics costs that are involved in returns, but it's the customer service time. It's the, it is the impact on the customer experience when they don't either get what they expect, they don't get the right size. There's any number of reasons that can contribute to high returns rates, but the overall net cost of business is just phenomenal when it comes to online retail. Yeah, I think Jason, you do a really good job in summarizing the big issue there. And really, I, we couldn't do it that way. We started six years ago, so <laughs> props for that. But definitely what we see in the market is like a lot of interesting trends. We see customer acquisition costs going up. So the importance of actually retaining customers going up as well. And that's where you instantly start looking at returns and how you can actually retain a customer by offering a great customer experience in the form of actually lowering your returns rates and increasing the amount of exchange that you offer to your returns process. And that's basically the essence of Returnista and how we help e-commerce brands really become the most successful as they can be in a ever more competitive environment. And even in your space, in terms of the tech, I guess, and the customer experience impact and the platforms out there that have been developed really to help manage this, 
that has also exploded. So you certainly aren't alone in recognizing the challenges to retailers around returns. I mean, we've got the famous re loop returns, return go. We've got, there's probably 20, maybe even more major return management platforms that are, say, for example, on the Shopify app store and, and that don't, maybe don't even necessarily just work with Shopify, they work with other platforms too. But certainly returns has become a competitive space from a solution perspective as well, because it's such a major problem. There have been a lot of companies that have rushed into this space to try to not only improve the experience from a customer perspective and all the hoops that they normally have to jump through to process returns and RMA forms and getting the approval and then being able to print off the returns label and then whether they pay for returns or it's paid for via the returns label by the brand. There's just so much to it. And I guess there's the operational component, but then there's the UX CX component. And then there's the and then there's the net cost to the business where a return is either completely refunded or store credit is given and then it's sometimes used, sometimes not used. And so Really, at the end of the day, what we're ultimately trying to create out of whatever returns process we implement, we're trying to create as much of a frictionless experience as we can, and we're ultimately trying to get the customer to remain loyal to us and buy with us again in the future. And I guess what I'd love to understand more about your platform is what you consider your unique selling proposition, your unique value proposition but for both the merchant and the customer and how you see that impacting both return rates, but also customer satisfaction as a result. Yeah, sure. So let me start by saying that approximately six years ago when we started, there were definitely a lot more guys and girls from various ages thinking about e-commerce and thinking about returns. So you see a bump in the amount of companies that were founded back then that are now have grown up to become big players, including ourselves in the return space, which is really fun to see everyone grow up over time as you see uh, e-commerce develop over time as well. What really what sets us apart uh, in this sense is that we work predominantly for brands. So we don't work for marketplaces or for the super large things like the Amazons of this world. We're really brand focused. And on the merchant end, what we really try to do, and I'm every day surprised how little insights the merchants actually have before actually connecting an random returns management platform to their uh, e-com platform is actually really helping them to understand what it is that's causing returns to occur. And you have the most obvious sort of elements where you look at what kind of customers are we targeting? What kind of products are we selling? For example, on a product level, what are my return reasons and how can I actually adjust to lower my impact and lower the return rates? But there's really a lot more to it. And we help merchants from the moment that they actually connect their store to our platform to really get a really broad insight into the world of returns. So you can think of what is the impact of my outbound delivery solution on my return rate? What is the payment strategy that I follow? Obviously, having the last couple of years, having seen a big boom in the buy now, pay later space, what is the impact of those payment methodologies on my return rates and how can I actually steer towards lower return rates in a time that actually being more competitive and therefore having higher margins and a better cash flow than my competitors is more important than ever before. So I'd say the data part, but not only the data, really the insights that you get from the data is where we set ourselves apart from players that you mentioned earlier. So the maturity on that part is quite a bit higher than our direct competitors. On the consumer 
And I guess that's a little bit more uniform there. We're all doing a pretty good job in creating a really frictionless environment where you can submit your return. I think one of the like factors that sets us apart is that we have logistical contracts all across the world. So basically you can submit your return in Japan as well as South Africa as in the US. Our dominant market is still the European Union and then Western Europe, where most of our customers are located. But you can definitely go global with your staff. So that's, those are the two elements I see to a yeah, unique proposition. And let's talk about what type of experience the customer would typically have and how that maybe leads to a lower cost of returns management and also your sort of tagline of your brand, of your company, of your tech is leading the way to zero returns. So what does that mean in the context of returnees, the customer experience that you guys provide and ultimately how you help down, how you help merchants bring down ultimately the cost of returns to the business? Yeah, so it ultimately starts at really the vision that, that my brother and I have on this on the entire e-commerce industry. And we feel very strongly that the e-commerce industry in the last decade or so has really been focused on just growth. But there has been a very little attention to actually the, the way we built up those businesses. And then especially when looking at the environment and our, our let's say, carbon footprint of the e-commerce industry. And... Yeah, in our opinion, it's just not a very intelligent way of doing business to send back and forth parcels for every new product that you order. And then especially us working for a lot of fashion brands, return rates can go up to as high as 70%, which is just completely unsustainable from a financial perspective, but definitely from an environmental perspective. So that's where the mission is that the mission is that we want to be a player that leads the way to zero returns which starts by really understanding where those returns come from and then subsequently how you actually prevent them from happening. What we mean by zero returns is actually that you prevent as many returns as possible by using those insights and steering the sales funnel. And for all returns that do happen, you actually create a sales opportunity out of them by offering different products or different sizes, et cetera, to really do have the opportunity to get the right product in the hands of your consumer and also run a sustainably business from yeah, the perspectives that I just mentioned. And that's what we're here to do. I guess even if you're even if the you ultimately get the right product into the customer's hands at the end of the returns process, the customer still has to do the return. So there still is a return element to that. But do you try to encourage the customer in some way to, for example, accept the store credit or to do something else? Or do you help the merchant work out? what their true cost of that return might be so that they then have the alternative of saying, hey, look, the cost to us is going to be so high to, to accept this return that what we're going to do is we're going to tell the customer to, to keep it or to give it away to charity or to donate it. Or are you trying to also work with the merchant to assess the cost of each individual return so that they can then propose the best solution for both the customer and their business dynamically as it relates to each individual sale? Yes, for sure. So it really is. And if you look into the Retinista Insights dashboard, we really take you by the hand and help you understand what the actual costs are that you incur when you process a return. I think most of the work around that is really about the prevention of returns after a return has happened. And we don't encourage brands to actually donate that to, to charity or keep the product at hand because we don't feel that is the right approach to take and doesn't 
incentivize a consumer to show the right behavior going forward. And I think we do have a lot of work to do in that front, especially because here in Europe, we have a couple of large brands, for example, Elando, the large German retailer, who has basically spoiled the behavior of consumers and their expectations, like what they expect from a brand. And now we actually have to reverse that behavior gradually by making sure that consumers do spend but they spend a bit more wisely so that they actually in the process don't cause as many returns as they do today and one obvious example of that is that together with brands now in the sales funnel actually encourage consumers to only pick one item in one size the size that actually has the highest probability of being the right size and then if you don't uh, if that product doesn't actually fit then you can exchange that for free. If you actually decide to order multiple sizes, then the, your return, which is obviously a hundred percent chance of a return if you have multiple sizes of the same product, then you have to pay for those returns. And in that way, we try to offer a great experience, but as well put some accountability in the at the address of the consumer. You you just brought up a good point that I think I've been seeing in the market more broadly over the last say two to three years, particularly with the advent of COVID and the rise of online shopping, what I'm seeing in the market is with the radically rising cost of logistics and reverse logistics for brands, where we historically saw one of the key differentiators for a lot of brands was, hey, we're not going to charge you for returns. We're going to cover the cost of returns. And they did that oftentimes to reassure customers that they could get the right size. It wasn't going to, in, in the case of fashion in particular, it was used very heavily as a massive carrot to get the customer to convert. Hey, we're going to make sure you get the right size. And if you need to return products to us, that isn't going to cost you a thing. But as you rightly point out, unfortunately, that trained customers to do bracketing and buying of multiple sizes, multiple colors, multiple whatever. And effectively, they abused the relationship that they had with the merchant. And where the merchant oftentimes thought that would lead to, for example, hyper loyalty, what they found is it didn't. And what happened was that they realized, most brands realize now that there's virtually zero loyalty to any brand now. And oftentimes price and availability and speed of shipping and, and convenience, there's a whole lot of other things that impact loyalty and encourage repeat purchases as opposed to just the returns element. And so what I'm seeing in the market is a return to sanity and a retraining, as you say, through now most brands will charge, it, even if it's just a nominal fee and it doesn't even cover all of their reverse logistic costs, they're charging a nominal fee just to discourage returns if for no other purpose other than just reduce the return percentage and also cause customers to be a little bit more thoughtful in the purchases that they make. And is that something you're seeing more holistically across the board? Because it's certainly something I'm seeing, even with the brands that I, and I do most of my shopping online, it's certainly something that I'm seeing become a hell of a lot more common than it was even two years ago. Yes, for sure. So this is going on. And I think this time this trend won't stop it. Page returns is definitely something that's on the rise and is here to stay. I must note, though, that shopping online is actually quite hard as a consumer. It's like it's so tricky to actually see if a product will fit you or if it has the right, the right color or if the imaging is correct. So I am a proponent of actually uh, acknowledging that fact and offering free exchanges because you don't want to create a real barrier for a consumer to actually convert. But I do think that the thoughtless shopping that has going on for the last decade or so, I think we do need to incentivize consumers to really be more thoughtful on that aspect. And that's why I brought up the multiple sizes and the bracketing, et cetera. 
that is the, it doesn't serve any purpose and it's just a dumb way of consumerism and i think we are on the right track and we now have the right technology to incentivize people to show the right behavior so what you're what you work with your merchants to try to assess how they can build out a returns strategy that differs in the way that customers engage with the returns process so as you say it might be a situation where the brand offers a free exchange and they might even cover the freight costs in an exchange scenario, but then they levy a cost if it's a straight return refund scenario. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to help brands to say, look, we want to incentivize the right behavior whilst discouraging the wrong behavior, and we can give customers options at the same time. That's right. And I think what that, that does is that, it also leads to the brand themselves being a little bit more conscientious. What it does is it forces the brand to think more strategically about the reverse logistics process. It encourages them to, in, for example, implement fitment technology because there is there are lots and lots of fitment technologies out there now that can help customers to find the right size, the right color, all that sort of thing. It also encourages brands to make sure that their imagery is correct, that the lighting is correct, that the color is correct in their photographs, that they provide enough angles and shots and in-situ type of images to where customers get a really true and accurate representation of the product before they make the purchase in the first place. And so I guess what it sounds like is not only are you providing a technology to help the brand and the customer manage their returns in a seamless way, but you're also trying to help merchants be a little bit more thoughtful about what might be triggering those returns in the first place. That's exactly right. And it's really about closing the loop, right? It's We have lived way too long just gathering data from the returns process and from the sales process and not really bringing them together, partially because the data actually was living out there on tiny slips of paper in your warehouse where actually you probably remember the time when you actually had to fill in your return reason on your return slip and then send it back and then someone in a warehouse actually put that in a computer those that data actually is at least five days or longer or more time old so then it actually doesn't make sense to match up those data points anymore because in the meantime you could have sold thousands of products and not be aware of the risk that you take as a business but now that we actually have introduced sort of the new norm of using a returns management solution like ours you can actually bring together that sales and returns data together and automatically funnel that back for example to your fitting tools so that if something changes in the returns data output that it immediately gives different recommendations to consumers visiting your store. And so do you have, as a result of that, do you have out-of-the-box integrations with some of the major mainstream fitment platforms? And do you also simultaneously integrate with customer service and help desk platforms, the like Gorgeous, Zendesk, whatever, so that you are gathering data not only from the sales platform and the e-commerce platform itself, and are you pulling and aggregating this data from those multiple sources and creating a circular loop for that data so that it can all be presented through your analytics and data visualization layer? Yes, that's right. For the, if, as opposed to the fitting solutions, we do have out-of-the-box integrations with those, most dominantly the ones who are doing very well here in Western Europe. And then, for example, the customer service tools like Gorgeous, we're now in the process of with Gorgeous to get something like that up and running. So far, Loop is the only one who does that, and we want to be the second one here in Western Europe. And so that's really bring together that data. Then what we already do is that we bring all the sales data 
and financial data in combination with returns data to the Returnista Insights dashboard. So we basically take a even larger responsibility than just showing you returns data. We have a lot of companies using the Returnista dashboard basically in their management meetings because we have done a pretty awesome job in visualizing how your business is doing as of well, real time. If you don't want that as a merchant, you can always funnel that data back into your BI tool, which we have out of the box connectors to for as well. And one of the other value props, it seems to me, of your platform or any returns platform for that matter, is the depth and breadth of carrier integrations for reverse logistics that instead of having to basically manage that experience independent of the returns management platform, if you've got those integrations out of the box, then it means that from a consignment management perspective and lodgement perspective, that's the merchant doesn't have to deal with that from a customer service side of the business. That's completely managed via your platform and the customer's interaction with your platform. And that feels like that would also dramatically reduce the load on customer service to have to directly interact with a customer because that level of automation and integration is all handled by your platform. And that feels like a pretty significant value add. I guess the more carriers you add that can cover all of the different return scenarios required, and then maybe you can even rationalize within your platform the best carrier of, say, five that would work for the origination and destination and the weight and the size, et cetera, of that particular parcel, then it feels like you are effectively bringing logic to the reverse logistics process that the merchant would have to do manually in most instances without a platform like yours. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that really, that point is in twofold. So first you have a returns management platform like ours that offers all those carry integrations, an option to actually use Returnista's contracts in all those regions. Or if you have really good rates yourself, you could load those in into the, the backend of Returnista that you give us basically right to the right to create those return labels on your behalf. But then the really important process start of proactively keeping consumers in the loop of where their return is, when they can expect a refund, when a refund is done. And that really, that proactive communication, which is quite trivial, saves 30 to 40% of inbound tickets on customer support departments who work with Returnista. Second to that, we actually have our own support department within Returnista that does nothing else than helping out consumers who have questions about their returns if they weren't proactively communicated or have a different question relating to that. So that really, we're, you can really see us as an extension of your own customer experience. And we have really tight relationships with the merchants on our platform to really have a consumer feel that they're still in the same spot. But it could very well be that you're actually talking to a Returnista employee as opposed to the store where you bought your products. And so automation is one but the human touch to it and really making sure that customer experience is second to none is really also a big differentiator. Makes sense. Now, when we think about the technical effort required on the part of the merchant to implement your technology, I'm guessing you work with just about every major platform in the market. And do you guys offer the option of embedding, say for example, your returns management form or solution into say a CMS page with a JavaScript snippet or something like that, where it's effectively an embedded iframe type of experience. I'm guessing you obviously have a hosted version of your portal, both for the customer, the end customer, as well as the merchant. And effectively they would have a link on their website to the returns page. And then that would be a hosted page of yours. 
and then it could be branded, of course, appropriately to match the customer, the merchant's brand experience, sorry. Or is it typically you would have an app, say, for example, if someone wanted to install Returnista on Shopify, they would just use the an app. How typically does your platform get integrated or implemented by the merchant? Yeah, so that embedment on the consumer-facing side is really has gotten the norm. In the past, you used to be redirected to different URLs, but if you really want to create a seeming like a seamless experience, you actually have to embed, and then obviously offer the right tools to make sure that what you actually embed really resembles the different the rest of the experience you have online. Yeah, and then most of the customers now actually are Shopify and Magento tools, and we have an API available for larger enterprises who are finding their way to Retunista more and more, which is really cool to see. And then actually we're listing in the Shopify marketplace in the coming weeks. So the all the Shopify merchants who are on our platform as of today have gone to a private app route, but now we're actually on, in the process of getting listed in the marketplace because we have done some really significant updates in the product where we can actually serve any merchant from anywhere in the world. And that's why it now makes sense to start leveraging the marketplace that Shopify has built to really roll out the Retunista product beyond Western Europe and the US. Fantastic. Makes it a lot easier for merchants to implement and really completely self-service in it. I guess it also reduces the workload on your customer success or merchant success team as well in terms of implementation, handholding and the like. So that's good. Good. That's a win-win for everybody. And since you've been doing this for over six years now, and you grew up in this industry, so to speak, what would, what has been your personal experience after working with hundreds and hundreds of merchants? I think you, I think I read on your website that you've got over a thousand merchants now running Retrainista, which is just a huge, it's a huge number of merchants. And based on this long time period and this depth and breadth of experience that you have in the return space, what are your maybe top one, two, three tips that you would say would be the most beneficial to merchants trying to reduce their return costs or their return frequencies? What are the things that you see come up time and time again that merchants pretty consistently get wrong that lead to high return rates and poor customer satisfaction? Yeah, really. During your question, I was thinking of my top three, and I think I have it. Let me start by saying that it really doesn't matter in my experience uh, working with over a thousand online stores, the size of the merchant that we're talking about. It could be a store that does a hundred million euros or dollars in revenue a year, or one that does not even one. In both positions, there could be people who actually get it or just don't get it just yet, which really it was a big surprise to me to see, especially in larger enterprises, that there's just not a lot of intuitive knowledge on returns, such as it's a pretty new field. And also maybe since recently that has changed, but before that it was not a topic that people like to discuss quite often. What I definitely would recommend to any merchant out there is really to start looking at the very beginning. Who am I targeting? What kind of customers are am I targeting? And how do I, how have I segmented those? And obviously you would be enticed to increase the spend where you see the highest convergence, conversions within those segments. But almost never do we see merchants who have already included returns data within that segment to really understand what the bottom line benefit of that customer segment is. And often do we see that brands do change their marketing strategy based on new insights that have gathered if you include returns data and the bottom line impact of those merchants of those consumers so that's one two is actually quite closely related to that and that's payment methods so i i've touched on this earlier in this part but what we really see is that the big boom of 
Klarna and Affirm and the likes has done a very positive, have has had a very positive impact on conversions and to an extent also on the basket size. But what is definitely a topic that they don't want us to talk about is the huge uptake of returns with those payment methods. So there's a matter of causality versus correlation there to they actually cause those returns or are they just loosely related? We don't have the data to show, but we actually see that return rates significantly go up if you start offering solutions. Then looking at the uh, huge cost you actually that every return incur, uh, like cost for a business, which is approximately $12.50 per return, if you take everything into account then you actually have to have a really serious uptake in conversions by offering that new BNPL solution in your payment methods to actually make up for that. I'm not saying that BNPL would never work because there are definitely instances that it does, but I would recommend every merchant out there to really dive deep on those payment methods and to see what it actually delivers bottom line. And then lastly, I would say that, but this is, I'd say, a trivial one, is that if you are not bringing together the moment of return and the moment of actually that someone that wants to exchange a product, you're losing out on a big load of money. And obviously what we actually see in the data is that over 50% of consumers want and have the intention to actually exchange a product that they've bought for a different size or different color. But if you don't incentivize people and don't have the right timing of returning that product and offering that replacement product at the same time, we see a huge conversion drop-off for those consumers and then approximately three to four percent actually ultimately exchange their product if you get the timing then you're already getting closer to that 50 percent again and it's just money in the bank and even more importantly significant impact on your cash flows since you don't have to actually refund products if you have exchanged so those are, i think were my three most important topics that i see that i need every merchant need to look to that last one is a very important one, I think. So let's unpick that one a little bit further. So in your typical returns process, even if the customer is incentivized to make an exchange versus a refund, what the typical workflow outside of a platform like yours would typically be the customer would submit a ticket through a form that would typically go into Gorgeous by topic and it would be a return. Then the merchant would communicate back to the customer and say, okay, fill out this form or whatever it might be, or give us the details and we'll issue you with an RMA number, return merchandise authorization number. Then the, and with maybe a little instruction in the email of how they could get it back and the address they need to send it to. Then once the merchant receives it back, then they would typically inspect the item and provide them with the opportunity after that point of an exchange as opposed to a straight up refund. So I think if I understood what you said correctly, if at the point where the customer wants to lodge the RMA, request the RMA, i.e. through your returns portal, if at that moment you offer them the opportunity of an exchange and you incentivize it right then when they're actually lodging their claim of return, then what you're saying is it sounds like the percentage of uptake goes through the roof as opposed to if you offer that in the normal workflow that I just described previously. That's exactly right. And I as a consumer can also completely relate to that because if I as a consumer have bought, let's say, a pair of tennis shoes and I fit the, and I don't fit and I want to actually exchange them, but I'm being requested to actually return those goods and then navigate back to the website to pick the right size. And in the process actually feel not very much 
respected or haven't had a pleasant experience of returning those goods because it was a process from the stone age, then I'm, my incentive to do so is so incredibly low that I would probably actually wouldn't bother and just have to a sports goods store to take care of it right there and then. And if you actually make that a pleasant experience and have the timing right, then you're correctly in saying that your conversions would go to the roof and they do. And so how do you guys handle that? Would you typically, so I, and we can talk about the way that you price and the features and functions and the four tiers that you offer. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's, what it sounds like to me is that your portal allows a deep integration with the e-commerce platform such that if the customer opts for an exchange right at the point where they're lodging their return request, then you can immediately give them a store credit right then and there on the spot, whether that be a coupon code for the value of the goods, or if it's a platform that actually has a store credit functionality in the platform, or the merchant is using an app that manages store credits for them, then it sounds like you integrate so deeply that you can effectively offer them the opportunity for an exchange right then and there, meaning you're giving them the store credit immediately. They can shop right then and there for the replacement product. And then that's offset by the value of the item that's being returned for the actual exchange process. And then I'm guessing that how do you protect the debt? If you do that, if you offer them the opportunity to spend the value of what they're returning straight away so that you get an exchange as opposed to a refund scenario, how do you protect the downside risk for the merchant for customers that, that maybe don't end up returning the goods as they promised to return them? So how does that typically work? from a process perspective and a risk management perspective. Yeah, really interesting point. And we as Returnista, we wanted to, and then I'm coming to the pricing a little bit. So we wanted to create a product that really has the same incentives as our customer. So we don't want many returns. We want to retain a lot of revenue for our merchants and in the process, create an awesome experience for consumers who are in that process. So that's why we have come up with commission on retained revenue. So all revenue that we manage to retain for a merchant through exchanges, through store credit is what we charge a commission on every month. And what we do on the sort of when it goes wrong is that we offer protection up to 25% of the actual sales price of the products that for example, got lost in transit or in the process to make sure that a brand is always covered for the cost price typically of a product that is sold. So they do have that revenue loss, but they actually don't have that. The cost price of the product is, is not lost because it's covered by us. And in, uh, if you see in, in that dynamic, you both want the same as a customer in the relationships that we have with customers. And then it's up to us to really increase the conversion every day by offering better service and really understanding who is returning what and what kind of products would that customer be, that particular consumer best and we don't do that with data just from one merchant we actually have merchants all, all over the place and we can gather all that data and create a shopping profile for example who jason greenwood is and then offer you the best recommendation in that returns process making the chance that we retain revenue for an online store the highest so you're effectively offering insurance. So you are creating an instant exchange opportunity for the customer, which allows yeah. them to immediately spend that value to the, up to the value of the returned item. Uh, secondarily, you're providing insurance that the item is actually going to get back to the merchant, whether, again, as you say, to insurance against the parcel being lost in transit or the customer not returning the item at all. Thirdly, to protect your downside risk of having to pay out that insurance 
you're aggregating data across the entire customer set, but also in particular with each individual customer. So presumably, if a customer doesn't return an item that they have promised to return, then the next time that customer purchases through that merchant, and if they then try to create a second down the track, then presumably that effectively red flags that customer in your system to where the exchange option is simply no longer presented to them in the returns portal. Am I understanding kind of that whole piece correctly? Yeah, that's right. So we then still allow people to actually return goods, but we they are no, no longer eligible to actually change goods through the service that we offer since we actually potentially have suffered a downside from them. I must add to that though, that it barely happens. So we have pretty good tracking in place, or actually excellent tracking in place of where what we call order A, where the initial order is and where the exchanged order is in the process and communication to back it up. So if we, for example, see that someone has used the instant exchange feature to get a different size or a different color product in, but we see no tracking available for the initial order that still needs to be returned, then you get into a loop of being reminded that you actually need to ship that parcel. And that's one of the big upsides I think of having all those carry integrations is that we can read and then read all those tracking information and basically map them out to all different actions that the platform needs to take to make sure that there's not a lot of manual work coming out of those exchange exchanges. Yeah, you raise a good point also, which is that I think some customers that maybe it seems like they're just trying to rip you off because they're not actually returning the good that they had agreed to return. Sometimes it just gets lost in the busyness of life, right? And so those automated reminders will obviously encourage those people that are legitimate and that they do want to actually make the return that it just reminds them to actually do. So that automated workflow of reminders seems like it is pretty crucial to the actual return rate. That's for sure. Yeah, and we see over the course of offering this service that people are generally good and they're not trying to rip you off or try to rip us off. It's just that sometimes life happens, as you say, and then they just need a nudge or a reminder to actually ship the parcel so that everything is going well again. And the loop is closed. Makes sense. Now, let's talk a little bit further about you because you are a SaaS platform. You run that typical SaaS model of a subscription fee and it's a monthly fee and you've got these tiers. And again, that's very common to the SaaS world. And with each tier, and you start at 99 euro a month and you go all the way up to the professional pack at 249 euro a month and then custom for enterprises that have really complex and large scale needs, which is a negotiated price on a case by case basis. But what I like about your tiering is the fact that these tiers offer very clear and differentiated additional levels of functionality as you move up the tiers. For example, with the basic pack, you get your basic returns portal and all of the basic features that go along with that. But then once you jump up to the essentials pack, then you all of a sudden now have the ability to make changes and store credits directly within the platform and give provide that option to the customer. And then when you move up to that professional pack, you also offer the ability for the merchant to bring their own carrier rates along and their own logistics contracts along. Plus you have the analytics layer that is the deep insights analytics layer to all of the returns costs for the business and tapping into that data pan organization. And so it's pretty clear that there is pretty significant benefits as you move up the tiers. So are there, over and above the, I guess, the tier price that you would pay, is there a per transaction price or a per returned, successfully returned transaction price over and above that? Or is that, does that cover a certain volume of transactions at each tier? And then over and above that, they pay an additional transaction fee? Or is it just 
this is what you pay. You pay for the essential pack, you pay one four nine a month. Yeah, good point. So there is, we, as I just briefly brought up, the success fee based on the amount of revenue that we retain. So that is really, if we retain zero, then we cost zero extra. But in practice, we see that there is a lot to celebrate. We retain a lot of revenue that would have been lost otherwise. And we charge a single digit commission on that every month. And that's on top of the commission, sorry, on the service fee. And that's it. Then we have logistics that you can either bring yourself or you can our and we have a really like good good price logistical carriers in the u.s and in europe as well to really allow you as a brand to scale into every region that you like and don't worry about the exchange process because that's all taken care of so with one click of a button you are live in a particular region and we can offer all the return possibilities there as well Love it. Love it. Listen, it's been fantastic talking to you. Now, if somebody wants to find out find out more about Returnista, I'm assuming that they just go to returnista.l. You can request a demo there. Obviously, you're able to sign up and subscribe there. Is that the best way for people to find out more and to actually get you implemented and up and running until the Fi app is actually in the Shopify store for Shopify merchants? Yeah, I think that's the best way, returnista.com or returnista.nl. We're available on those and you can really easily get in touch with one of one of my colleagues there. And I'd love to talk to you and see what we can do for you and help you run a better and more efficient business. Well, Oliver, thank you very much. I really appreciate that and all of your insights and knowledge and experience around returns. I think that's going to be super relevant and helpful for the audience as they start to work out their best returns management strategy, both for their business and for their customer experience. Super useful, valuable information. Really appreciate it. Sounds like you got an awesome platform on your hands. I've never used it personally, but sounds like you covered all the major bases there for merchants. Now we're at the point of our conversation where I get to turn the microphone over to you. I get to let you ask me one question, any question you like. It could be personal, professional, however you choose to go. It's completely up to you. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, Oliver Muller from Returnista. What's your question for me today? I wasn't expecting that one, Jason, but it's a really good question. I think I read that you, so we're going to do a personal question. So I think I read that you move around quite a bit and that you're in Mexico and nowadays. Is that right? And if it's right, how did you go about and decide to relocate over there? Yeah, you're spot on, mate. You're spot on. I was in New Zealand for over 28 years. I'm originally from the United States. I grew up in Southern California. My grandfather was a Kiwi and my parents, my sister and myself were all dual citizens, New Zealand and the States. And we decided to make a move to to New Zealand. And yeah, we really lived there and had a great life there. As most of the listeners will probably know New Zealand had one of the worst and most serious lockdown periods and one of the lengthiest lockdown periods in the world during COVID. And and there was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of things that that really didn't make us very happy about that situation. I'm married to a Kiwi and obviously we both had to suffer through that whole period. And it it wasn't very fun, that's for sure. And New Zealand is also very remote from the rest of the world and particularly from the really heavy hitting e-commerce world of North America. And so we just looked at, we looked at our options and we said, hey, you know, Mexico has one of the friendliest immigration policies in the world around financial solvency and getting residency and the opportunity to immigrate here came up. And so we looked at it, we said, why not? My wife has never lived outside of New Zealand and we wanted to just take a new adventure, take a new chapter. And we agreed to do that. And yeah, we've been here about a month, just over a month now and really enjoying it, having a great time, enjoying great warm weather that Mexico is known for. We're going to travel around for about a year before we decide where we want to settle 
in Mexico. And so we're going to be traveling till at least the end of this year. And it's pretty much going to be up to my wife, I think, where we end up settling. Happy wife, happy life is what they say. So we're really looking forward to that, but we're having a, we're having a great time. And I think the more experiences you can have, the more countries you can live in, the more people you can meet, the more cultures you can be exposed to and immersed in. I think it makes us better humans. I think it makes us more empathetic to what the, the things that other people in the world go through and the lens that they see the world through. So I've always been a big fan of travel and uh, it's great to be able to, after that, that, lengthy period of lockdown where we weren't, we didn't travel. We're big travelers. We really enjoy traveling and we weren't able to travel for over three years. And so we were really happy to be able to be traveling again, experiencing the world again. It's very inspirational and definitely one of the aspirations I have with my very young family to do something very similar like you're doing today. My hat off to you. Thank you very much. We're pretty fortunate, right? We work in an industry where, at least for me, as long as I've got my laptop and a good solid internet connection, I can work from anywhere. And sure, maybe sometimes the time zones may not be too friendly in late nights, early mornings. But other than that, we're pretty fortunate. We work in the digital space and it allows us to really be super flexible about where we work from. And I think we're really fortunate to be able to work in the space we do. I agree. Listen, mate, it's been absolutely fabulous talking to you. Thank you once again for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us. Wish you and the Return Easter crew all the continuing success that you've worked so hard for. And uh, look, I'd love to talk to you again in, in another, uh, another 12, 18 months, see what you've added to Return Easter. That, that actually, maybe we'll make that the final question. What's on your radar for Return Easter? You've been doing this for over six years, so I'm guessing that the platform is super mature already, but, and it sounds like it's super mature, but is there anything on your radar that maybe is going to be rolled out in the next 12, 18 months that you can come back and tell us about once it's actually rolled out there? Yes, for sure. I want to be the player that really closes the loop. So now that we are connected to one of like many of the fitting tools out there, I think we can actually do a better job than they do today. So I want to really develop in that space, maybe, well, to make Retunista a full-stop service to not only reactively inform you about how your returns process and return rates are doing, but proactively steer in the sales funnel to help you get the best performance out there. I'm definitely going to be able to tell you more about that in 12 to 18 months from now. Ah, oh, absolutely love it, mate. That is that is very ambitious, and I love it. And that is that closed loop end to end turnkey service is going to create some huge additional value for merchants. So really looking forward to hearing more about that once that rolls out. So again, thank you for your time, and thank you for the, the chat today. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon, mate. Thank you. Looking forward to it too, Jason. Are you a B two B or D two C e commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.